Hello, and welcome to the Rooted in Reliability podcast, your plant performance podcast, where we dive deeper into asset management techniques and know-how. I'm your host, James Kovacevic, and I will be your guide to achieving industry best practice. The Rooted in Reliability podcast is here to provide you with the insights to improve plant performance and deliver bottom line results to your organization. In case you missed the last episode, you can find the Rooted in Reliability podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on the reliability.fm network. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Now let's dive into today's topic. It's my pleasure to welcome back Jim Fitch to the podcast. Welcome back, Jim. Uh, Happy to be with you, James. Thanks for the opportunity. So, Jim, for those that may not be familiar with you, you're previously on to talk about ICML 55 or the standard around lubrication programs. You're the CEO of Noria Corporation, and you're also a director with ICML. Although super brief, what can you tell us about yourself, Noria, ICML, all those great things? Well, um, thank you. ICML is an organization that we started, uh, I guess, about 18 years ago, a nonprofit. And uh, this goal was pretty clear, was to provide certification uh, a certification resource for organizations and, and individuals that uh, went through training and wanted to kind of finish off their training with a certificate of uh, competency. And uh, the ICML is uh, is focused on just that and, and other things as well. Uh, but uh, that was its original objective. It is kind of a, uh, an organization focused on practitioners or users, you know, the kind of the working class of uh, the oil analysis and lubrication community. And today, I, I think they've certified over over 20,000 uh, individuals, uh, could be closer to 30,000 actually. But it's, it's been a huge success. I've been with it since day one. We have a great board of directors and uh, they're very proud of uh, what we've accomplished. Noria Corporation is a for-profit services company and uh, we uh, provide uh, to, you know, a lot of training services. We've trained thousands of people uh, uh, worldwide. Uh, we also provide consulting uh, services, all related to oil analysis and lubrication, uh, transformation services for plants that are trying to move their plant from uh, a, uh, their current state to something closer to what we would call the optimum reference state or world-class lubrication. We're a publishing organization. We publish a machine lubrication magazine and several e-publications. We're also a conferencing company. And, uh, and so we're, we host um, a reliable plant conference and machine lubrication conference, as well as three conferences related to that or similar to that in Latin America. Uh, so uh, we're pretty busy. Uh, we're uh, 22 years old. Um, and so we're basically looking for new, modern, different ways to disseminate uh, knowledge and information. And uh, these days we're doing a lot of that remotely. We have a couple of uh, studios, video studios, uh, uh, that we do a lot of re- remote or virtual uh, training and, and uh, you know, uh, related activities, web- webinars and things like that. So it's keeping us busy. All right. Excellent. Now, you've been involved with lubrication for a long time, and Noria has assisted a lot of different organizations with RCAs. And what I want to talk to you about is really about what have you learned about lubrication-related failures from all of these RCA investigations? So 
what can you tell us at a high level that Noria has learned about failures related to lubrication? Well, that's, that's a pretty broad question. And, uh, I love that question. Uh, we, we have done a lot of RCAs or what we just call, uh, failure investigations, really the same thing. And I, I don't know how many we've done, but, uh, certainly north of 200 of them. And we, if, uh, we, we take on a variety of different type of cases, uh, but they all need to have something to do with tribology or oil analysis or lubrication. Uh, about half of our, our cases are litigation or forensic re- related expert witnessing. The other half are just a machine or component of a machine that has failed perhaps uh, chronically and uh, they've made efforts to try to resolve or fix it and they were unable to, so we get the phone call. Uh, so, you know, we've learned a lot over that, that period of time and, you know, failure is uh, definitely a great teacher. Success is a teacher, but failure is a better teacher. And, but you have to ask the questions. You have to be uh, allowed uh, to, uh, to learn uh, from failure. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of people uh, in organizations tend to be more uh, in the denial state. Uh, they um, don't think that something's failed or certainly is not their fault, and then they overlook the obvious. Uh, so lubrication and lubricants in particular uh, uh, bear a lot of information. They're both the cause of a lot of failures uh, and they are, the, and the lubricant is uh, a, a kind of harbors or carries or is a messenger of information related to failures where the root cause may have nothing whatsoever to do with the lubricant. So it could be misalignment, overloading, you know, uh, defective design, defective uh, installation, uh, you know, some sort of uh, operator error, whatever it, the actual root cause might be. Uh, it's darn hard for a mechanical lubricated machine to fail without the lubricant knowing something about it. So oil analysis or lubricant analysis is uh, something we're really good at. I've been involved with this really my, my entire technical uh, uh, career. And, uh, and so we, we go to the lubricant or uh, the, the uh, we could say the derivative of the lubricant to analyze what it has to uh, tell us using analytical chemistry and other analytical methods about the origin of the failure and the state of the failure today. All right. Excellent. So you've learned a tremendous amount. If you could summarize, how many failures can be contributed to a lubrication related issue? (laughs) Well, you know, it's just, it's an endless uh, number, but there are some types of failures that are uh, a lot more prominent. And so, you know, as anybody that's done RCAs knows that perhaps one of the most common causes of failure uh, relates to uh, ignorance or uh, some kind of human error or, you know, human agency. And we deal with that all the time. You know, people use, uh, you know, they kind of follow their instincts or their best guess and they make uh, decisions and they take actions. And those actions uh, can lead to huge consequences. And so, uh, so the, the type of errors can be anything from the wrong lubricant or mixed lubricant or the wrong amount of lubricant, the long, wrong frequency of lubrication, uh, you know, various types of exposures that are not controlled related to heat and contamination. 
Uh, starvation is a very common problem uh, where, where you know, there's a, a general belief that the, that the machine is getting the correct amount of lubricant, but the reality is maybe far from that. We see a lot of varnish cases, aeration cases, uh, moisture, corrosion, micro microbial contamination, uh, just this, it just goes on and on. And, and so we're generally doing basically autopsies. Uh, we're taking a machine that has failed. Hopefully uh, the, uh, the customer, our client has done a good job of preserving the evidence. They haven't tampered with anything or destroyed anything or changed anything. And uh, we start tearing into it, asking a lot of questions, collecting information, what we call discovery information. That discovery phase can be pretty extensive. We like to go on site uh, and, uh, and then we'll let, that usually involves the taking of samples. It could be a sledge sample, it could be a filter sample, it could be deposits, varnish, uh, just various things, you know, sediment, things like that, that it shows up. Uh, including the oil itself, and then we would send those samples to the laboratory and start understanding what is, is going on. So those samples can carry a lot of historical information, things that were happening just prior to the failure or even days or weeks prior to the failure that led to the failure. Uh, so a filter is a really good example of that. It's like a, you know, a hard drive or a database of historical information if you know how to extract that out of the filter, uh, you can kind of see what, it, what was happening uh, days or weeks prior to the failure. So that's, those are the kind of things that we see. Uh, you know, we've, gosh, we've analyzed so many different kinds of machines over the years. You know, we've been, we worked on the space shuttle a couple of times, uh, the Titan missile program, the expeditionary fighting vehicles, uh, military aircraft. Uh, we've worked on uh, you know, yachts, uh, surgical drills, lots of process equipment, turbine generators, compressors, gearboxes, uh, you know, on and on. And we, we see a variety of things. And, you know, usually the, our client, you know, gives us a call when they are kind of at wit's end. They've tried everything. They've blamed everybody, you know, the lube supplier, the OEM, the service company, you know, uh, and uh, they've run out of options. Maybe it's already in litigation and uh, we get the phone call and we, you know, we start cobbling things together to try to figure out what happened and, and to you know, give them the answers that they need. All right, excellent. Now, you, know, you mentioned there's a lot of different issues there. You mentioned human error potentially is a contributing factor, the wrong lube, all these different things. Is the training and skill set of the employees a major contributing factor to a lot of these, or is that just a small segment of what you guys are seeing? Uh, well, training is, is absolutely critical. I mean, proactive maintenance is critical. <clears throat> you know, you don't want to deal with things that are already in a failure state. You want to deal with things that are in a, uh, a root cause state. It's kind of like uh, blood pressure or high cholesterol or you know, diet or exercise, weight, these sorts of things are root causes. They're not, that, that, that's not evidence of heart disease or cancer, but they can lead to it. So if you are, um, aspire to good health, then you can avoid these kinds of, of disease as opposed to trying to catch a disease early. Uh, if you have, of course, you want to catch it early or deal with it later on. 
The same is true with the machine and the lubricant. You know, if, if you educate your people on the virtues of, of contamination control and precision lubrication and lubrication or precision lubricants and lubrication that, that, that's done properly, uh, and they have the skills and the tools and the motivation, support uh, to do those things and the budget to do those things, you can avoid a lot of issues down the road. And unfortunately, a lot of organizations are just kind of, they're in this state of denial or the sense that everything's fine. Uh, you know, it's just like, you know, people in their health, if they, they don't have a disease at the, fro at, at the current time, they're not about to change their lifestyle to avoid disease. But, you know, if they have a crisis and all of a sudden things change, same is true with the plant or the machine. You know, if they have a crisis or plants down, their machines down, a critical uh, process and a component is down, you know, that's really a good opportunity to take the wake up call and realize things need to change. And uh, one of the first things to change is education and it's educating people at a lot of different levels. All right. Excellent. Now, what are some of the other learnings you've had from performing all these failure investigations? You know, it sounds like there's a big piece around evidence preservation, but what else have you learned that organizations can take advantage of or apply in their facilities to help start reducing or at least investigate failures more effectively? Well, I mentioned uh, uh, catching problems early. And so, you know, it's, it's it's like the PF interval. You know, the, the beginning of the PF interval is the is the root cause or, or proactive zone uh, there. So we need to talk about what the root causes are. You need to do a uh, you know understand the failure modes. We need to rank those failure modes and develop a condition monitoring program around those failure modes uh, and the root causes of, associated with those failure modes. And then, you know, continuing on with the, the PF interval, we want to catch problems early, which we call the pin drop or the, the weak signal. We need a condition monitoring program. It has the ability to catch incipient early stage failure. You know, when where debris seems uh, to be at a very minor level, but it still shows up in your oil analysis report uh, and knowing how to recognize the cause of, of that. You know, a lot of people think things are just cure themselves, they're gonna go away on their own. You know, I've never seen misalignment go away on its own. On its own. I've never seen wrong oil go away on its own. I've never seen uh, coolant contamination uh, go away on its own. And most things don't go away on their own. And instead, they, they, you know, go through a precipitous state, state and they get worse and worse. So catching things early and responding to them when they're still, uh, you know, a, a minor problem is critical. I, I mentioned, the, you know, securing the crime scene, don't destroy, tamper with, or contaminate evidence. We, if you have an issue, we don't want to, uh, to, to mess up the quality of the information that we, uh, we have. We want to combine various different technologies. You know, oil analysis is one for sure. But what are the other condition monitoring inspection methods that uh, can be used to gather information, bring everything to bear? Uh, you know, the, I mentioned the filter, sledge, sediment, deposits, noise, touch, smell, everything needs to be, you know, it's like, you know, uh, solving a jigsaw puzzle or something or, you know, uh, you know 
uh, Wheel of Fortune or something. You need as many different pieces there to kind of construct the picture before you start coming to conclusions about, you know, what caused that, that failure. So data collection, evidence collection, fact finding, all of that is a very, very important part of any failure investigation. UE Systems has been the premier source of ultrasound instruments, technology, and support for 45 years. From handheld inspection tools, state-of-the-art and complementary software, and now permanent sensors and 24-7 condition monitoring, UE Systems has everything you need to take your ultrasound program to the next level. UE Systems also offers five unique online courses to further your professional knowledge and ultrasound program. These courses range from lubrication best practices ultrasound inspection on mechanical, electrical, and steam systems. Learn more at uesystems.com slash training slash online courses. Now, based on your experience with these 200 plus failure investigations, what are some low hanging fruit that organizations are missing that could prevent some of these things from occurring? So low hanging fruit uh, I mentioned is, you know, education, of course, uh, in education, not just any education, but modernized education. There's a lot of people in the lubrication field that we encounter that took a course from their oil supplier 20 years ago on lubrication, maybe oil analysis or something, and they think they're, you know, they know it. Uh, and we've learned a few things since, you know, 20 years ago, and we've learned some really important things, particularly as it relates to uh, precision lubrication and quality lubrication. Lubric you know, lubricants is are what we buy. Lubrication is what we do. So we need to do a very good job of both of that, of both of those things. A lot of it has to do with human behavior and human agency. What the things that we should do uh, and the things that we shouldn't do. Uh, and and so we need to to uh, apply you know those things. We need to put our organization into a kind of a proactive maintenance state uh, and, and, and do the, you know, understand what kind of world-class uh, lubrication uh, means. Uh, in my previous podcast, I talked about ICML 55. You know, this was, this was a standard that was developed and contributed to by 45 subject matter experts around the world that brought their, you know, decades of knowledge to bear on a single standard. Uh, that standard is a really good uh, concept uh, and, and a statement of what proactive maintenance is. You know, the things that we need to be doing, you know, what constitutes good lubrication that avoids, uh, avoids failure. And uh, so, you know, that's, you know, those are a, a couple of, of, of things. You know, there's, you know, we, we need to realize that we, we have, mo there are modern concepts uh, out there, uh, new technologies, better ways of doing things, uh, figure out, you know, some good advice, get some good advice, either in a training environment, perhaps consulting service providers uh, that can modernize our, our lubrication program. Um, you know, a lot of companies out there are doing this, you know, from end to end, you know, they're just going, going through their plant, they're revisiting decisions that were made regarding which lubricants, how much lubrication, the way their machines are accessorized with side glasses, sampling ports, filters, breathers, headspace management, 
the, the procedures that are used for lubricating, uh, the procedures that are or the, the methods uh, that they're using for inspection, all of that is being reevaluated and modernized. Those companies that have done that can, can often experience a huge amount of benefit. I mean, it's, to me, that's low-hanging fruit. A lot of that is fruit on the ground that for some reason people just can't see. They don't see the opportunity. Uh, they're, they're ignorant to it or they don't see it as a, an opportunity to save money. Yeah, absolutely. You notice a lot of those things when you walk into facilities, things that they're just not managing that are very simple, that could generate significant returns, mitigate a ton of different failures. But for some reason, they're focused on other things. Um, you know, it's a challenge. There's, I've heard a plant manager say it once that they're too busy focused on chasing the pennies that they're missing the dollars. Yeah, that's exactly right. So what do you think makes the biggest difference in being successful in preventing a lot of these lubrication related failures? Yeah. So, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of the focus of our training courses because any instructor is going to want to teach people things that really work. We don't just teach to, uh, you know, tell people about, everything that we know about lubrication or oil analysis. And we, you know, Nori has a lot of different courses. Uh, our emphasis on, is on teaching people uh, subjects uh, and giving them competency in subjects that they can bring back to their plant, that they see opportunity to take action on and to make changes that result in benefits uh, to them. And so, you know, the, so, we look heavily at case history. Uh, so Nori is a publishing organization. And so we get a lot of submitted uh, articles and papers. Same is true with our conference. People bring in these papers and make presentations. And we're alert uh, and we try to be alert to what the user community is telling us or telling the, the, the world what has what worked for them. And and so we're like stamp collectors, you know, but aren't, instead of stamps, we're collecting good advice, good tips, good methods, good best practice, all those sorts of things. And, you know, what are those things? What are the th there's the things that we emphasize and repeat and talk over and over in our courses. Uh, so, you know, contamination is one of the very, very best. Uh, and a contamination is... Is, is at the root of a lot of failures. It's what's in the lubricant that shouldn't be in the lubricant. Sometimes it's sold with new lubricants unknowingly. Uh, and so what is a contaminant? It's anything that's foreign in the lubricant. It could be totally invisible and usually is invisible. Uh, particles, in the most destructive size of particles are not the particles we can feel or the particles we can see but are rather the particles that are totally invisible, usually less than 10 microns in size. The vast majority of all wear due to particle contamination comes from those little particles. It turns our well into more of a, of a liquid sandpaper than a, a good lubricant. But then there's other contaminants like air and foam uh, and water and glycol or coolant and heat and, and just on and on and on. And all of those can be addressed and influenced by the user community and can be monitored by uh, the, and, and measured the, the presence and concentration 
through good uh, lubricant analysis and oil analysis inspection as well. Just looking at a side glass, for instance, uh, a very good inspector should be able to look at a side glass and, and come away with as many as 10 or 15 pieces of information about how the oil is doing and how the machine is doing. Not just determining whether there's enough oil or the oil level is correct, but a lot of other information. We call it side glass oil analysis. But, you know, probably about 95% of the people out there that are looking at side glasses routinely don't do anything other than determine whether they have oil. And, and so that's a missed opportunity. There's a lot of other inspections that, we, you know, we, we have a, a kind of a philosophy, we call it Inspection 2.0, which is a very modern concept of inspection, brings inspection to a much higher level where the inspector is an investigator. He examines a, an inspection point. He doesn't just look at it. He doesn't just, you know, briefly glance at it. He looks at it deeply and, and tries to understand little nuances about what he's seeing. And then he's troubleshooting. He's, 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 he's asking other questions. He's maybe taking samples. He's, he's doing other condition monitoring tests, all at trying to understand things while they're in an early state of, of a problem, root cause or incipient failure state. So those are a few things. All right. Excellent. Some great words of wisdom. Now, if you had a magic wand, what is the one thing you would change when performing failure investigations? You guys have done a tremendous amount of them. What is the thing everyone misses with performing these things? Well, um, well, I think one of them is, I mean, if we're talking about a, 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 a machine that has experienced a pretty significant failure, internal state failure, perhaps lubricant related, uh, this does take some at level of expertise. And having done a lot of these investigations over you know, several decades, I've learned that um, you have to be quick at realizing that you're kind of out of your, your, uh, your, your, your depth or whatever on certain areas and be willing to go out to other experts that are out there. And so we use about I don't know, maybe 40 or 50 subject matter experts from time to time. Some we use all the time. And, and so we, we look at a case, and if, and if there are aspects of the case that we are, need extra knowledge, then we'll tap into these other resources. We'll sub out to them. It may be just a phone conversation or an email, send them a picture, send them some data, and then we reciprocate. So if they're working on cases and they need our help, then we'll reciprocate. So that's one of the... That's one of the magic wands that uh, we have used. And I'll never forget the case where we had a bearing failure case on a, on a generator. Uh, it was a whole uh, rash of failures, uh, different users out there. And we couldn't figure it out. The, the bearings were failed in a very odd way. Huge uh, pits uh, you know, showing up. I mean, uh, large visual pits uh, that were showing up on these these ball bearings. And so we sent a synopsis of this out to, to 31 uh, bearing experts around the world to see if any of them had seen anything like this before, uh, before pictures and so forth. Uh, and we got uh, 30 responses, never seen it before. And we got one response saying, I know exactly what this is. We've encountered this exact problem. And this is the cause and this is the solution. Uh, and so that's an example. Uh, you know, we, we, we also use lots of different laboratories. We don't 
focus on any one laboratory. We understand the capabilities, analytical capabilities of different laboratories and we'll make the decision which laboratory sample goes based on, on those capabilities. So that's kind of a little bit of a magic wand. We'd like to have labs uh, that could, would, you know, could respond faster, that had greater capabilities, had better analysts or technicians. Uh, to these days, we rely on just accurate data. Uh, so if we can just get the lab to run the test, get us, get us the data, then we'll figure out what, how, to, how best to, to analyze the data. Again, I, we, we, it's not just the oil that we're analyzing, is, but it's often the, the evidence or the re residuals of that oil, what was in the oil that's now in the filter, what was in the oil that's now stuck on the bottom of the tank or sump, what was in the oil that is, that is stuck on the walls of the machine or it's in the bearing or in the gear or it's in the sight glass. Analyzing those things can be much more revealing than simply an analyzing the oil. All right. Excellent. I really like how you encourage people to go to those subject matter experts. I think that's a major advantage that a lot of organizations do not use. Um, it's impossible to know everything. So let's make sure we leverage the appropriate individuals when we have those types of questions or issues, those sorts of things. You know, I, you know it's, it's a little bit like, you know, if there was a dead body on a, on a table and there was no obvious injury uh, to that body and somebody asked you, you know, can you, you know, do an autopsy to determine the, you know, how this guy died? You know, if somebody asked me that, there's no way in the world I'm going to be able to figure that out. Uh, and so, uh, but yeah, there's a lot of people in plants that have something quite similar to that. They have a machine that's failed and someone said, you know, here's a book or here's a article on root cause failure analysis. Here's a, a, a fishbone diagram methodology or something like that. Can you do a root cause failure analysis on this? failed compressor or gearbox or whatever, that would be, to me, that's similar to asking me to, to try to figure out how this guy died. Uh, so I'm not a forensic pathologist, and I shouldn't attempt to, to do the, the task of a forensic pathologist. So we have to reach out to those that have true knowledge in tribology and lubricants and formulation and, and machine failure and, you know, uh, on and on and on. There's a long list of areas of expertise and tap into that experience. We need to be, we shouldn't be bashful about it. We should, we should realize that we, you know, you know what we need and then go for it. And maybe it, it takes three or four subject matter experts to piece together the complete picture of what happened. Yeah, absolutely. Now, we've talked a lot about RCA and, or failure investigation, lubrication. What is the one action you want our listeners to take away from the conversation today? What can they go do different or what do you want them to start applying? Uh, gosh, I'm trying to think of what I can say that I haven't already said. Uh, the, I, I think I'm just going to go back and say, you know, if you are in the kind of condition monitoring or troubleshooting world, you know, these are you know, your reliability engineer or your manager over these kind of people. Uh, you know, you need to uh, get a well-rounded education. Uh, and you may have, have some areas of expertise, but you need to get knowledge and information about all the, con con the peripheral subjects. So, you know, going to conferences where you can sit in and listen to speakers on a lot of different subjects is a good, uh, is a, is a a really good thing. Uh, buying books uh, that are, you know, you should have a bookcase full of 
subjects that relate to what you're supposed to be doing and doing it well. Uh, when you need to you know, listen to podcasts, you need to listen to uh, uh, and watch webinars and uh, uh, you know, attend training and, and have multiple perhaps certifications, not just one in your narrow area, but you know, some of the peripheral and, and ancillary areas as well. And because uh, and, and you know, you know, a machine doesn't just have one narrow issue called vibration or uh, antioxidants in oil or you know, you know, filters. The, the, there are usually many contributing causes uh, and and issues uh, there that have to you have to have knowledge and expertise on. And users need some of this too because they are the user organization is the organization. <laughs> that is going to apply proactive maintenance uh, to try to uh, aspire to prevent disease from happening with their machine. The user is gonna make the decision on which filter to use, which lubricant to use, which sampling method, how frequently to sample, which laboratory to use, on and on and on. All those choices are gonna be made by the user, not some outside expert. Uh, unless that expert has been contracted, say, uh, to come in and help them. So because of that, you know, if you're the, in charge of making all those decisions and to modernize a lubrication program, you've got to, you've got to get the education and have the knowledge base. And it's not just doing a quick Google search or looking at Wikipedia. It's much more deep and broad and extensive than that. Uh, and you're bringing knowledge in from a lot of different places. And so, uh, I would encourage people, as I've said before, to get, take a look at ICML 55. I mean, it's a great standard. Look at all the subjects that are in that standard and kind of look at your own organization, your own people, your own levels of competency and ask the question, do you understand what's in this standard? Do you have the ability to perform uh, you know, lubrication as it is outlined here. If not, you need to be, begin the journey of getting yourself from point A, where you are today, to point B, where you need to be, to be somewhere close to being compliant compliant with the the uh, wisdom that, that resides in that standard. All right, excellent. And you're right, that standard is a great resource. I'll make sure to link to that in the show notes. Jim, I want to thank you for taking the time to talk to us today about failure investigations. But before we go, where can people find out more about you, more about Noria, all the events, activities, resources, all those great things? So, uh, like most organizations, we have a pretty big website. So, Noria.com, N-O-R-I-A.com is a, uh, is, you know, we have probably over 10,000 pages of content there. MachineryLubrication.com would be another uh, place. Uh, and those two uh, uh, websites or platforms uh, link to each other. There you, you can go to uh, kind of see the people that are associated with our organization on the services team, some of the technical people, uh, and you can get their bios and background. You can also do uh, searches on uh, root cause failure analysis, lubrication, oil analysis. We have a very uh, good kind of search engine there that kind of allows you to kind of quickly access all this information. Uh, you can go to our website and look at all the training courses, including the online training courses that we have available. And we're soon to be uh, introducing task-based training 
So task-based training is kind of going to be the new tra training mantra at Noria. In other words, uh, it is how you perform tasks like, like uh, uh, lubrication tasks or inspection tasks or oil analysis tasks. Uh, this is not related to certification. It's, it relates to what people who work in the plants do on a daily basis. So you'll see some information related to that there as well. All right. Excellent. Well, I'll make sure to link to all those so people can easily find them. Jim, I want to thank you for taking this time to share your valuable knowledge with us. Definitely took away some more information around failure investigations and lubrication. Uh, I definitely appreciate it. So thank you so much. Uh, you're welcome. It was a pleasure, James. Appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. I would like to thank you for listening and remind you that you can always find out more on maintenance, reliability, and asset management at www.iridicio.com and by following our blog. The Rooted in Reliability podcast is a proud member of the Reliability.fm network. I'd like to ask you to please rate and review this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. It ensures the podcast stays relevant and is easy to find by like-minded professionals. It is only with your ratings and reviews that the Rooted in Reliability podcast can continue to grow. I thank you for providing this small but critical support. We'll see you next week when we dive into another burning topic with Rooted in Reliability, your plant performance podcast.